another Sabbath service. We're so happy that you've joined us today and that you'll be worshiping with us. Today's sermon is entitled, Overcoming, Preparing Now to Be a King. And that's going to be brought to us by Pastor Jim French. Just doing our sound check, so please confirm that uh, you can hear me clearly and also that you can hear the piano. Again, thanks so much for joining us. joining us just doing our sound check to confirm that you can hear me clearly and you're also hearing the piano just uh, any of the platforms that you're on if you can just indicate that the sound is coming through clearly and then we'll get started and happy Sabbath to all of you and as always thank you so much for being so faithful and coming here and sharing this day this Sabbath day with us every single week and who would believe it today we are, we are in the in a new calendar month on the Roman calendar we are on May 1st 2021 
And here in Canada, it's supposed to be a spring, but we still have kind of like a chilly weather. Yesterday was very windy, and even today morning, and the sun is breaking, but it's still very cold. Now, when it comes to the Hebrew calendar, we are on a month second and day 19. Month second and day and day 19. And when it comes to the contact, as we're counting up towards the Pentecost, every single day and every, every single Sabbath, we are on day 35th, day 35th. And which means that we are only two weeks, two Sabbaths away before the Pentecost. Two Sabbaths away. So welcome. As I said, welcome to all of you, especially if our first time here. So a special welcome to our first timers here. And as always, before we go to uh, our Sabbath service here, we'll begin with the opening prayer. But I'll ask Brother Dylan just to do that. Thank you, Jan. Um, Let's all bow our heads. Uh, Heavenly Father, Eternal One, um, we'd like to thank you for bringing us through the world uh, for another week, uh, to another Sabbath to be with you. Um, we we ask that you uh, help us to prepare ourselves for the upcoming Pentecost in a couple of weeks and to uh, prepare ourselves for the Holy Spirit, and make ourselves right. And uh, Heavenly Father, we um, we we ask that you bless this, bless the speaker today, and bless the message, and, and help us all open our hearts and minds uh, to take in the message and make it part of our our lives. And um, and and Father, we we also ask you to. To help us all, uh, as we deal with this lockdown, to, to find ways to fellowship and strengthen our church family and, and find ways to help develop the love in the, in the church and to strengthen it. And, um, Father, we ask that you, you bless this Sabbath and we just once again would like to thank you for allowing us to be with you on this Sabbath, and um, we ask that you just bless this day. And um, we ask all these things, uh, Father, in the name of your Son, our elder brother, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Dylan. And now we'll have a hymn, and right after him, we'll go to the scripture reading and just wants to give you a heads up. If you have your Bible, just close by. Just turn to Hebrew chapter 12. That's where the scripture reading will come from. Hebrew chapter 12, verses 11 to 17. But before we go there, we have a hymn. It's a great hymn. Let's sing out, sing it together. So the hymn will come from page 28. And the words, as always, will be projected on the screen. What a friend we have in Jesus. And right after him, we'll go to the scripture
Good afternoon, brethren, and happy Sabbath. Uh, the scripture reading, as mentioned, is taken from Hebrews 12, verses 11 to 17. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people, and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Amen. Thank you, Brother Daniel. Now at this time, we'll just do some of the announcements. We don't have many, but just the announcements we have to go through. Uh, first announcement, just remember, please remember the Bible study that is coming this coming Wednesday at the same time as always at 7.30 p.m. here, our time. And this time, Pastor Agent and Pastor Murray will continue with Q&A Q session. There is still some questions that were not answered last week, so they'll dedicate the whole time this coming Wednesday to answer some of the questions. And you still have some questions and you some, have some comments and observations, you can still bring them up. There would, uh, it's no guarantee that we'll, we have enough time to answer them on the same evening, but they will be kept for another Q&A session. And also, please not forget the Sabbath service next week will come at the same time here at 2.30 p.m. And as you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, Pentecost is just two weeks away. It will take place on Sunday, May 16th, and all services, the Sabbath before, weekly Sabbath before, and the Pentecost service will be at the same time right here at 2.30 p.m. And now here it's from uh, Pastor Jim, who's going to do the sermon today. If you would like to have a help with the hands out that are specifically pre prepared for his sermon, you want to have access to this thing, please go on cgicanada.org, cgicanada.org slash new. And then you can access it. You can access have to a paper copy of his sermon. It might be a much easier to some of you. So I guess that will take the take care of the announcements. And now we'll go to the intercessory prayer. So we don't have any new names on our on our channel here on our intercessory prayer. But I would just like to the exception is only I would like I would like to add Gary Gary's Manx, Manx whose father just died unexpectedly. Just please pray for him, keep him and his family at this time in difficult time in in your prayers. And also please. Pray for Pastor Murray. He's not, you're not gonna see him today, but he's actually, he felt sick last evening and he's got a fever and, and a headache and some chills. So just pray for him. Hopefully it's nothing serious. It's just gonna last for a few days. So let's just bow our heads here and let's do the intercessory prayer. Loving Father, great God, thank you so much for all your mercies, all your blessings and Specifically for another week, Father, as we survived, we made it through another week. And with this another week and another Sabbath service, Father, we just want to bring up all these people who are on our prayer list, for whom we pray continually. And this week, especially these two individuals, 
Brother Gary and Brother Murray, who go through different tribulations in their lives. And, and we know that it's not easy when you lose a loved one, and especially unexpectedly. And even though we are trained, we know what to expect. We know what's at the end of this, of our lives, not just ours, but everyone around us. When things happen like that, we are sudden. We grieve and we mourn. And we ask Father that you keep Gary and his family in your special care at this moment till all this grief and everything will pass away, Father. And also quickly here, Father, we pray for Pastor Murray. We know how hard he works, not just as his job, but specifically, Father, all the work he does for church. And even today, we, I could feel his absence is affecting us greatly here. And we're so grateful for him. And hopefully, we pray, Father, that whatever it is, the sickness will just quickly go away. He will be just back to his normal routine as always, Father. And here in the end, Father, just we pray for all brethren, no matter where they are. Father, just take care of us. And especially protect us, Father, from this coronavirus, all the other diseases, from all the mental sicknesses and everything that is out there, Father. Please have us in our special care, Father, and 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 walk us through this closing point to this finish line as we all walk together here, Father. So thank you so much for everything, for all your blessings, Father. And we ask no other name but Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, Pastor Jim French will do the main message for today. As you heard the title, Overcoming, Preparing Not to Be a King. But before we go there, before with the main message, we'll have a hymn, one more hymn, a beautiful, wonderful hymn on page 164, Tell It to Jesus. And right after him, we'll go to the main message, Overcoming, Preparing Now to Be a King, by Pastor Jim French.
Uh, thank you, Jan, for that introduction, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Back in my early days with the Church of God, uh, I was a teenager when I started attending. I was around age 15, and uh, when you're a teenager, you know that you don't know everything. <laughs> Hopefully, you know you don't know everything. You're, uh, you're young, and there's lots of opportunities to grow. And when I started attending church, uh, you know, I was so thankful for what Christ had done for me and, and you know, eager to be, you know, as good a Christian as I could be. And so sometimes you, you, you look and you try to figure out what kinds of things can I do to, you know, to be a better Christian. And uh, back, back when I was uh, an early Christian, uh, just starting with the church, uh, Rod Meredith had written a series of articles that for me were really inspiring as a teenager because it provided lists of, of things to do. And again, as Christians, we want to be balanced and we want to uh, be complete. And so, so uh, I love the idea of uh, articles that give, you know, seven points of this and five points of that that help us to, um, you know, not miss areas in our life that we need to be working on. And so it provided a great le- checklist of qualities to develop and to hold on to through life. Nobody wants to appear before the throne of Jesus and have Jesus say, you know, you, you, know, you missed these areas. You know, there's these things that you should have been working on. We want to appear before Christ, um, you know, thankful for the opportunity to be there and and eager to hear that that we've done some things well. And so an article, you know, a list of articles like this and the idea of a checklist um, provides, you know, lists and a framework that we can use in evaluating our life when we're, you know, on our knees before Christ praying. Uh, we can talk about, you know, some of these characteristics that I think a good Christian would have represented in his life. And so uh, this afternoon for the message, I wanted to talk about um, ways that we can evaluate our Christian growth by looking at um, the um, the articles that uh, frame up the idea of preparing to be a king. And uh, in this series of articles, there are seven articles in total. And so it covers seven areas of life that we need special development. And again, it helps us to qualify for rulership under Jesus Christ. Again, some people, when you talk about, you know, improving yourself or, or you know, following this kind of a checklist, uh, some are worried that, you know, we're using works as a method of salvation. And again, this is, has nothing to do with the mechanism of salvation. We know from uh, Ephesians 2, uh, verses 7 and 8, that, you know, it's by grace that um, we receive our salvation through Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection that that we are saved. We're not doing this to try to earn salvation, but good works are a part of what we want to be doing. And works that improve ourselves to make us better servants for, for Jesus Christ is exactly what we as Christians need to be doing in our lives. And a series of articles like this. And again, that we'll be talking about the points in the sermon provide some some kind of a checklist that you can look at. And in some points, you're going to be saying, I do pretty good with that. And that's great. And other points you're going to be saying, well, that's, that's something I hadn't really thought of. And, and I need to improve in that area. And so we're not necessarily going to be going in a lot of depth today in many of these points. But we will try to provide that framework that you can use in your study and in your prayer with God to um, 
to help you become a stronger Christian and prepare to be a king in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ promised in Revelation 2, 26 and 27, and he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. So again, the one ruling with the rod of iron, it has a capital H there for he will rule. So it's Jesus Christ that's going to rule with the rod of iron. But he says that he's going to give us power over the nations. And down in uh, Revelation 3.21, he goes on and says, Again, he said, to him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne. Sharing Christ's throne, of course, would include sharing his ruling. Jesus when he walked with his disciples, gave them um, a parable that helped to explain a little bit about this, this concept. In Luke 19, verses 11 to 27, we have the parable of the ten pounds. Verse 11, Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So there's a bit of context about why Jesus gave this parable. It goes on in verse 12. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Verse 13. So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten pounds and said to them, do business till I come. Another way of saying this would be, you know, put this money to work until I come back. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. And again, Jesus um, gave this parable because he was nearing Jerusalem. And again, the scribes and Pharisees, um, the Sadducees hated um, Jesus and, and all the wonders and works that he was able to do. So that's part of what is going on here. His citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him. So Jesus represents this nobleman going away to, to inherit a kingdom and then come back. And in verse 15, and so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your pound has earned ten pounds. Now, interestingly, a pound um, is not like a British pound, which is only like a dollar or little, you know, a dollar and some change. A pound in, in um, uh, at this time, uh, I think I read it was made up of a hundred drachmas, and a drachma is like a day's wages. And so... Um, a pound um, is something like three months' wages. <clears throat> and so, uh, verse 15, he returned, receiving the kingdom. Verse 16 says that the first servant, your pound has earned ten pounds. And what was the response from, from the king who had received the kingdom? Verse 17, he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your pound has earned five pounds. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. And so we see examples of some 
some people who were uh, industrious with their with their trading and they were able to turn this amount of money perhaps three months wages um, into multiple times that and and the king represented by Christ is pleased with what they've done in verse 20 then another came saying master here is your pound which I um, kept put away in a handkerchief for I feared you because you're an austere man you collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow and he said to him out of your own mouth I will judge you you wicked servant you knew I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest and he said to those who stood by take the pound from him and give it to him who has 10 pounds and in verse 25 but they said to him master he has 10 pounds and again there are some that would evaluate this and say well, that wasn't very fair you need to you know distribute things evenly to everyone but Christ <laughs> it's his money it's his pounds and he's distributing them to where the most benefit is going to happen. If someone is investing your money, you want them to uh, gain interest or gain, um, you know, have your money multiply. And that's this situation. So it's kind of puzzling because, you know, people listening to this are saying, Master, he has 10 pounds, as in, you know, distribute your money out to everyone. And that's not the way that uh, Christ was thinking, and it's not the way that we would think if it's our money as well. Verse 26, for I say to you that everyone who has will be given and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And in verse 27, it's a, uh, once again, a bit of a surprising verse where it says, but bring me here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. So we see that Christ as the ruler um, isn't playing, isn't playing games. And being an enemy with Christ is not is not a good strategy in life. So from this parable, we we get this idea that that being successful with what God gives us um, can have part can have a part in the reward that God uh, that Christ will give to each of us um, upon his return. And so um not everybody is able to do the same things with the talents that he has some some people have more talents and might be able to do more some people have more talents and do less with it um in this case each each servant was given 1 pound but some did more some gained 10 some gained 5 and he was pleased with uh whatever benefit whatever gain they were able to make it was only those that didn't do anything that uh Christ was upset with so in the article series, Preparing to be a King, there were seven different areas that they wanted to, that was, they were focused on that we'll talk about today. Area one is the seven keys to mental mastery. So again, this has to do with a Christian's mind. Point two, the seven laws of radiant health. What kinds of things can we Christians be doing to improve our health? Point three, build the personality of a king. When we interact with people, we, we appreciate when people have a great personality. But what are the characteristics of personality? That's what we hope to focus on and, and again, provide some tools perhaps to um, 
improve our personality by making sure we're not lacking in any of the areas. Point number four, which was perhaps my favorite of the articles, talks about building the character of a king. Uh, so often in the early church of God, the, the talk was that that God created mankind as physical beings so that we would have an opportunity to live a life where we could build character. And the idea was that that, you know, God could can create lots of things, but the idea of character is something that has to be built by the person. So, again, God could build robots that would obey him, but those are robots. What he wants is children that obey them, that obey God, because we have we've built the character and the understanding to know that that is the best way of life. And and so building character is is something that's always been important and always been an emphasis of mine in my life. Point five, be a loving king in your family kingdom. Almost all of us have uh, you know family members around us, whether it's uh, parents or uh, siblings or uh, perhaps we're uh, the kings in our own uh, domains, kings and queens, moms and dads with our own family. And even those that don't have um, immediate family members, uh, when you join uh, Christ's church, you become part of the family of God and you have brothers and sisters that uh, care for you. And so uh, the idea of being a loving king in your family kingdom is is certainly a part of being a well-rounded Christian. Point number six in preparing to be a king is how to build leadership. Again, leadership is this this important quality. There are lots of business books written on the subject of leadership. And because leadership is a mechanism to help a group of people accomplish goals. And um, being a leader, whether um, it's you know a leader in your family, uh, a leader in your own life, just ruling over yourself, or uh, a leader over men or you know uh, organizations, um, uh, it's important to understand some of the qualities that make good leaders and something we can be building in our in our own lives to be better Christians. And point number seven is to tap the power of God. And so we'll uh, we'll cover these uh, seven points. And again, it won't be in a lot of detail. The idea is to create this checklist that you might use to um, you know go over it yourself. And you can certainly add scriptures to the ones that I'll be adding today to show that these are certainly scriptural principles that we need to be um, incorporating these in our lives. So point one, the seven keys to mental mastery. So what are the things in our Christian mind that we need to be um, that we need to be building? Point one, alertness and discernment. The first quality is awareness of people and things and attitudes. So as Christians, there's going to be people around us that have different uh, um, attitudes. There are different things around us that we need to be aware of. So alertness and discernment is a mark of a leader. Um, so we need to be alert, we need to be awake, and we need to be thinking. In Matthew 22:18, it reads, Jesus perceived their weakness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? And again, Matthew 22 is that, that point where um, the Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes came to test Jesus with different questions. And again, it's important to understand the context. If you're alert and you're discerning, then you're able to see that, these people are not here to learn. They're just here to 
uh, you know, cause trouble, to try to uh, make me look bad or to make me stumble. And uh, Jesus called them out on it. He perceived exactly what they were doing. And so part of uh, mental alertness that a Christian needs to have is, is to be alert and discerning. Point two, education and knowledge. Nearly every future king is educated and tutored to prepare him for the wide-ranging responsibilities which await him. In scripture, we have uh, examples, for example, in Daniel um, 1 verse 4, it talks about Daniel and uh, some of the other um, Israelites that were taken. Uh, they were um, selected to serve in the king's palace. And again, it says because um, they might teach them the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And so um, the king of the Chaldeans was wise. He would take some of the best and brightest and then educate them even further. And so the idea of education and knowledge is uh, um, makes perfect sense that you focus um, education and knowledge to have people better themselves and to be even more useful. In Acts 22, uh, Acts 7:22, Stephen talks about Moses and says that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And so it's interesting that, you know, some of the heroes of the Bible um, are examples of those that were well-educated and who had gained a lot of knowledge in their lives. Point number three in mental mastery is understanding vision. Uh, so understanding vision and big-mindedness. Understanding is the grasp not only of information and facts, but of the relationship to each other and their meaning. Vision is the ability to foresee events or situations even before they happen and to express what an organization needs to become. So having vision in an organization is, uh, you know, setting the, setting the goals for where that, where the organization needs to move to. Sometimes we need small changes for small benefits and other times we need to think big. We need Big changes for big benefits. And again, point number three talks about understanding vision and big mindedness. Numbers 13 verses 30 talks about, um, you know, the spies that spied out the promised land and they came back. Verse 30, it says, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession of the promised land for we're well able to overcome it. And again, um, Caleb was part of the minority um, opinion. Most of the others were saying, there are giants in that land. We don't have a chance against those giants. But Caleb was an example of someone who had understanding of what God wanted, vision, seeing what God was offering to the Israelites, and big-mindedness that let's go in there, let's go now. Point number four of having um, the, the mind of a king has to do with wisdom and resourcefulness. Wisdom is the faculty of making sound decisions. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. And we get that from Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. Because when you start with that beginning, you're going to be able to make wiser decisions because you'll be able to throw out um, uh, things that are that go go against God and in God's way, so those options you don't even have to consider. 
Resourcefulness is the capacity to solve emergencies and to come up with wise alternatives. And so wisdom and resourcefulness is something that that we can work on and build as Christians. Point five, faith, hope, and courage. And about this point, you're you're probably like me thinking, when Rod Meredith wrote these, <laughs> he wrote seven points, but each of these points sometimes are two or three sub-points. Faith, hope, and courage are three different things, but they are related. And I suggest the more points, the merrier, especially if we're using them as a checklist of, is this something that I'm building in my life? And is this something that has developed in my life as a Christian through the years? So faith, hope, and courage talks about a positive mind frame coupled with faith and courage is often what separates the men from the boys in times of trial and test. Using the example of, uh, of David when he was um, potentially going up against Goliath, um, you know, all of the Israelite soldiers were afraid to, to go against Goliath. But here's what David, his attitude in 1 Samuel 17:36, where he says, Thy servant David slew both the lion and the bear. As a shepherd, he had killed a lion and he had killed a bear. He knew he had, uh, you know, with God's help, the ability to, uh, you know, protect the flock from even a lion and a bear. And in this situation, he says, And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And again, uh, it, it's uh, so inspiring because... He's not necessarily saying it's, a, you know, it's because of, I'm a great, you know, I'm great that I'm going to do this. But because he's defied the armies of the living God, God is going to help whoever to, to defeat Goliath. And David offered his, you know, he offered his service to do that. Point number six is mental discipline and persistence. So again, we're talking about things in our mind that can help as in our Christian walk. So mental discipline and persistence involves developing the habit of ruling over your thoughts and emotions. So you want to have, you want to build certain habits in your life that help you with different thoughts that you might encounter or different emotions you might encounter. Discipline yourself to get up on time in the morning, to get to work on time, to work hard and to grow on the job. If you do Things like that, exercise discipline, mental discipline, and are you persistent at doing it, then it will serve you well in your in your life and in your Christian walk. An example of a scripture, uh, Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Uh, I remember a, a, a quote from a, a football coach where, you know, they're, they're in the locker room between um, uh, between the first half and the second half, and he's telling these giant football players, you know, you, you got to get out there and 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 you know push on that team. That's the reason you lift all these weights. So all week long they're diligent in lifting weights and building their bodies, and he's just reminding them, you know, that's the reason. Today is the reason that you do that. So developing mental discipline and perseverance or persistence is uh, <clears throat> something that will allow you to not faint in the day of adversity. You're preparing yourself so that you're going to be strong when that day arrives. And point seven, loyalty and service. 
To the very end of his physical life, Jesus was totally loyal to God the Father. Even to death, Christ is our our primary example. He never argued or questioned his Father's will, and he said in Luke 22, 42, Not my will, but thy will be done. So that's, um, that covers the, you know, seven rules of, or seven points of having a mental strength as Christians. So things that we can be doing with our mind. Uh, the second area that we want to develop is in the seven laws of radiant health. And again, uh, we could say that a lot of these are, are common sense things, but sometimes if you don't see them written down or you don't see them in a list, uh, there'll be things that you'll forget or that you'll overlook. And the goal today is to make sure that we have this checklist that's going to help us. Point number one is food and fasting. It makes perfect sense that whatever you put into your body is going to help you become stronger or it's going to make you weaker. Um, the concept of fasting, you know, sometimes it's a good thing to clear your body out. And again, there are books that talk about uh, um Um, some of the health benefits of fasting. And so point number one, food and fasting is important if we want as Christians to have radiant health. Point two, cleanliness and dress. Um, It's interesting because a lot of guys, you know, don't focus on on, uh, looking their best, uh, you know, being clean all the time. And so that's, that tends to be something that uh, women excel at and men are terrible at sometimes. But the idea of uh, being clean, dressing nicely makes perfect sense. It makes you, you uh, more presentable and it makes you feel better. And it makes other people appreciate, you know, that you've taken time to do that grooming. Sunshine and fresh air. Um, um, it's a kind of a motherhood thing that, um, it's important to you know, get out in the sun and get some fresh air. I remember as a youth myself spending, you know, hours and hours and hours outside playing softball and tennis and and um, basketball and and you know, parents never had to be chasing me to go outside and play. I had some neighbors that were buddies and we could we could uh, uh, play together all kinds of things and and uh, sunshine and fresh air was no problem. Uh, today. Uh, there are some excellent computer games that uh, uh, allow you to um, uh, play basketball and play baseball uh, without leaving the comfort of your living room sitting in a easy chair. The problem is you're not getting the sunshine and fresh air. And so um, it, it just makes sense. If you want radiant health, you have to get out and uh, you know enjoy some of nature and, and breathe deeply some of that awesome fresh air that's out there. Point four, exercise. Um, I don't think anyone's going to argue with me that exercise is a good thing for us, that it's part of being healthy. Um, You know, the food that you eat and exercise are key. Sleep and rest. That's also something that common sense says is a good idea. But uh, interestingly, there's so many, so many people who um, I guess the term is try to burn the candle at both ends where they don't uh, get enough um, sleep. They don't get enough rest. They try to, um, you know, live on, you know, fewer hours than they need of, you know, getting proper sleep, and it impacts their health. And so, um, part of your Christian walk 
Part of having radiant health is getting a proper amount of sleep and rest. Point six, avoid bodily injury. This one, again, should be uh, fairly intuitive that, that if you're going to be injured, it it's, doesn't help you have good health. Um, I'd suggest a, I have a son-in-law who uh, loves sports. And again, he was also uh, again married and had a young family. And and one of the problems he was having was in being a real competitive sportsman. You know, he would you know be playing baseball and he'd take extra chances and sliding and end up you know twisting his ankle or or you know having these different injuries. And it ends up that you know when he's unable to walk for several weeks, well then he would lose some of these jobs that he was. Um, that he was getting and there's some you know some really good jobs that pay well but he would end up losing those jobs because he was injured and so so uh, the admonition is not to you know be a lukewarm athlete when you're participating in sports but to um, use your mind and be careful about uh, you know what you're doing to avoid bodily injury and so again whether it's your um, leisure activities or even you know the work that you're doing um, be aware that you only have this one body and you need to uh, take care of it. And point seven is to build a positive mental attitude. Uh, Proverbs 17.22 says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And again, having a positive attitude makes it um, nice for peace, people to be around you. They enjoy being around people who are positive. And you yourself, when you are positive in your outlook and attitude, it, it helps your health. So that's uh, area two, the seven laws of radiant health. Area number three that we're going to look at is uh, building the personality of a king. So what are the aspects of personality? These are things that kind of make people unique. And, and so, um, you know, is it possible to change someone's personality or to improve someone's personality? I would suggest yes, and again, we'll talk about what those areas of personality are. Point one says, develop an outgoing interest and warmth for others. But if you, if you consider the opposite, it's just ignoring others or not being, you know, being cold to other people. Uh, nobody wants to be around someone that's like that. But if you are interested in others and you show them warmth, uh, friendliness, then um, that type of personality is going to draw people to them. Point two, build zest and humor into your life. People love to be around um, people who tell jokes. Again, it's not to say that it's in an unbalanced way, that your whole life is a joke and, and that you can't be serious about things, but that your outlook, your personality is positive and it does have humor. Some people... You know, some people, you know, delight in being, uh, you know, crabby and unapproachable. And if people come close to them, they'll bite their head off. And, 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 and so again, that type of personality drives people away. As a Christian, we want to have a positive personality and have humor in our lives to make it pleasant to be around us. Point three, learn to be patient, compassionate, and modest. And again, Jesus is an example of this, where in Matthew 9:36 it says, But when he, Christ, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, 
So again, here's an example where, you know, a crowd of people have been following him for a long time. And again, Christ, you know, didn't, didn't look at it from a selfish point of view saying, Oh, I need some time off and, you know, too bad for these people. He, he saw them and he was compassionate towards those that were, you know, eagerly seeking to know more about God and his ways. And they knew that Jesus had that, those words of knowledge. Point four, be strong, confident, and courageous. An example of this, uh, we can take from uh, Acts 5 and verse 40, where, um, you know, Christ gave the instruction to, you know, go out there and preach the gospel to the world. And sometimes it was not necessarily a welcome message. And there's a time when some of the uh, apostles that were out uh, preaching this gospel were thrown in jail. And in Acts 5.40, it talks about, And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. So the point of being strong and confident and courageous means that in our Christian walk, we may have to show that kind of courage um, ourselves. In society today, Christianity is also not necessarily a welcome. Um, it's not a welcome philosophy. It's not a welcome um, approach when people see, oh, this, this guy's a Christian. They have, they have uh, ideas about what it means to be a Christian. Maybe that means we're going to be judgmental, or maybe it means that we want to boss people around with a bunch of laws that they don't want to keep. Having a positive outlook and a positive personality. Uh, Christians don't have to be doormats. Christians can be strong and confident and courageous. And this, this uh, point on our checklist tells us it's something we want to build in our lives. Point five, enthusiasm, drive, and purpose. Again, if a uh, characteristic of personality is how how zealous are you? How enthusiastic? Do you have drive? Do you have goals that you're working for? A purpose? Do you have things that you're working towards? And when people see that you work hard towards things, that you have uh, enthusiasm in what you're doing, it's contagious. People want to be around people like that. And, and that's the element of personality is, is uh, you know, how you reflect out and how people are drawn to that. Area number four that we talked about is building the character of a king. This is, uh, again, the one that I, I found most interesting because that one of the goals that we had as Christians especially was to be building godly character in our lives. And so what are the elements of that godly character that we need to be building? Point one, humility and the fear of God. In Proverbs 11.2, it reads, when pride comes, then comes shame. And so starting out as being humble, having a character of being humble and fearing God, respecting God, knowing that God is in charge and loving God for being a loving ruler. Humility and the fear of God is the first point of having godly character. Point two, God's standard of right and wrong. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there's a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And again, in society today, people think they can 
they can decide what's best for them and rule their own lives. And we look around today and we see the wars and the misery and the suffering that exists because even though they think they know, they know what, what to do, it's, it's really not in their way to, it's not in their ability to guide their steps. They need to understand God's standard of right and wrong. Point three of character, building the character of a king, is practicing wise and impartial judgment. These things also belong to the wise. This is from Proverbs 24:23. It is not good to have respective persons in judgment. Whether it's in business, if you have respective persons, that means that you sometimes will, if you're the purchaser, you'll spend, um, you'll spend more money so that you're helping your friends instead of helping the business that you, that you work for. We have, um, every day opportunities to, uh, provide, um, you know, to be wise and impartial in the decisions that we make. The judgments that we make. And so this point, point three in developing proper character is to focus on make, being wise and impartial when you're making you know, decisions and, and judgments in your life. Point number four, exercise strength and determination. First Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Exercise strength and determination. Point five, practice patience. Uh, practice patience and mercy. So the idea of practicing, you know, focus on what are the opportunities I'm going to have to develop patience and mercy. So in my life, things are going to be happening and I'm going to look for opportunities to practice that. In James 2.13, it reads, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What James is getting at there is using the uh, perhaps um, the scripture from Christ where, where Christ uh, gives a parable about um, a rich man who has a servant who owes him lots and lots, <laughs> a fortune that he can never repay, and the master forgives the servant of all that debt. And then that servant goes out and somebody owes him a, you know, a tiny amount. And he grabs him by the throat and shakes him and says, pay me what you owe me. So the idea there is that, is that when someone shows you mercy, the expectation is that you're going to show mercy to other people. And in the example that Christ gave, the one that was forgiven so much, wouldn't be forgiving of just a tiny amount that someone else owed him. And so James in James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. So we as Christians need to have, have uh, forgiveness as part of our character. We have to have mercy as part of our character. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Last week we... Um, we have a breakout discussion after the messages and, and, uh, the sermon was uh, on the subject of joy and we talked about that for a while and then the subject went and shifted over to judgment or the subject switched over to forgiveness as a subject. And I would suggest point five here, practice patience and mercy 
is all about this concept of forgiveness. And so uh, in a minute or two, we'll uh, dig into that subject a little bit deeper. Um, today, uh, of any of the points that I'm going to focus on, it's going to be that point on forgiveness. And I'm going to drill down a little deeper into that than the higher level coverage that I've given uh, some of these other points. Just to finish off the building of character of a king, though, point number six is to practice diligence and self-discipline. And again, Proverbs 12:24 says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Part of having a good Christian character is that you're diligent and you have self-discipline. You... Um, you rule your, your you rule your mind you rule yourself and um, if you're slothful that's not that that's not you're not going to be successful and point number seven in the character of a king is to have love for God and fellow man and again this is a uh, uh, you tend to not have many problems with a, a point like that but John thirteen thirty five says that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so part of a, having a good Christian character, a godly character, is to have love and to show love, this outgoing concern, uh, one to another. And again, it's point seven of having the character of a king. So at this point, I, I just wanted to dig in a little deeper on the subject of forgiveness. We'll come back to the uh, our other framework after that. But because we had such a great discussion on forgiveness last time, uh, one of the points that I was uh, trying to raise in the um, after-sermon discussion on forgiveness is the idea that that um, uh, Orwell brought up in his book 1984, which just says that when the language is controlled, it controls sometimes even what you think, because if you don't have words to express what you're thinking, then the ideas never get get formed and and uh, and understood by people. And so when we talked about forgiveness, um, there is some understanding, but there's also some areas where we were puzzled. And uh, today I'd like to talk about uh, uh, three points that were raised by uh, a Dr. Stephen Marmer from UCLA. He's a psychiatrist. And so again, he's dealing with people and people who have forgiveness issues. And so he's talking about there being three different types of forgiveness. And I think by having three different words that we can use, it helps us to be able to express ideas in ways that uh, if you only have the one word forgiveness, then then um, you have trouble in, in, in uh, expressing what is a uh, complex concept. Forgiveness is has complexity to it. And so the three words that uh, he uses for forgiveness, the first is what most of us think of with forgiveness, and that's the idea of exoneration. A clean slate uh, being fully forgiven. And, and again, exoneration refers to wiping the, state, the slate entirely clean and restoring the relationship to the full state of innocence it had before the harmful actions took place. And so um, he points out that there's three situations where exoneration uh, is possible. The first is when the harmful action is a genuine accident and there's no fault. Um, it, you're able to forgive to restore the relationship because there's no real fault 
um, for it. It wasn't intentional. A second situation is when the offender is a child or someone who didn't understand the hurt that was inflicted. So again, when they don't understand what, what was happening, then it, then this exoneration, restoring the relationship back to full is very possible. The third situation where exoneration is possible is when the person who hurt you is truly sorry. They take full responsibility without excuses for what they did. They ask forgiveness and they give you confidence that they will not knowingly repeat their bad actions in the future. Uh, we often as Christians think of this as the, this whole process of repentance. All of those steps being truly sorry, taking responsibility, asking for forgiveness and doing our best to never repeat the bad action again. When somebody comes to you with that, um, no matter what the hurt was, they deserve exoneration that you would restore them back to um, uh, the relationship before that even occurred. In Psalm verses 103, or chapter one, or Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. And so this talks about God's forgiveness. And as far as east is from the west, God forgives. And um, that, we could say, is exoneration. He restores us back to before the harmful, the sin that we might have committed. But not all situations are like that. And so that's why we need these additional words for forgiveness. And the second word he uses is forbearance. Forbearance means patient self-control, restraint, and tolerance. And forbearance applies when the offender makes a partial apology or mingles their expression of sorrow with blame that you somehow caused them to do the wrong thing. An apology is offered, but it's not what you hoped for, and it may not even be fully authentic. So the idea with forbearance is that you'd still like the relationship to, to, to continue. It could be a family member that you're going to be bumping into at family functions. And so you want to have some kind of a positive relationship with them. But, you know, they've done things to harm you and they're not necessarily even, you know, totally accepting their guilt or they're, you know, they're not saying they're sorry. They're not asking for forgiveness. But if you would like to still have a relationship with them, then forbearance is the type of forgiveness that you can give them. And this, this involves cease dwelling on the particular offense, do away with grudges and fantasies of revenge, but retain a degree of watchfulness, you know, because this is someone that potentially could hurt you again. Using forbearance, you're able to maintain ties to people who, while far from perfect, are still important to you and it allows relationships to continue. In Matthew 18, verses 21 to 22, it reads, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or this is the New King James. I think the King James says 70 times seven times. So that's 490. And so 
So we have an example here where if somebody comes and says they're sorry, that we should be forgiving. And again, I, I look at the um, um, uh, the attitude that we sometimes see in society today that says, you know, when someone does something bad against you, well, that's strike one. And then they do something else, well, that's strike two. And, and you know that in baseball, they're only allowed three strikes. And again, it doesn't matter how sorry they might have been or how repentant they might have been and how eager they are to restore the relationship. You're only going to give them three chances. And again, Scripture says that that's not the proper attitude. Now, whether it's forbearance, this type of forgiveness that we're talking about now, or exoneration, um, you know, Christ is saying, you know, if, if someone sincerely comes to you and asks forgiveness, that you, you're to give it to them. Uh, interestingly, in Galatians 6, verse 7, we have another scripture that says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he'll reap. And the idea that's, that's there is that you can't, you can't fool God. So if all you're doing is, you know, playing games, you're, you're asking forgiveness, but you're not really sorry and you're not, you know, you know, God isn't deceived by that kind of action and, and we're not necessarily deceived either. When someone is insincere, um, about wanting forgiveness or, you know, apologizing, then, you know, we know that and we can choose um, exoneration or forbearance. Sometimes forbearance, you know, they might not have been, they might not have given the apology we wanted, but sometimes, you know, it goes on and they, they show themselves that they were sincere in their apology. So forbearance can go up to become, um, it can go up and become exoneration as in we can fully forgive. And so, um, it, it doesn't always work out that way. But forbearance is the second type of forgiveness that he spoke of. And then we have the third type. The third type, the word he uses is release. And what release is, is letting go of the burden so that you can continue life. When the person who hurt you doesn't even acknowledge what they've, that they've done anything wrong and gives an obviously insincere apology, then that becomes a situation where forgiveness exoneration is is almost impossible again they don't they don't care that they've hurt you they don't care um you know they're not really asking for your forgiveness but um it's something that can be tearing you up the scripture that was read uh, earlier was from hebrews and again, in Hebrews 2.15, it talks about this idea of a root of bitterness. And a root of bitterness is when bitterness inside of us takes root, as in it's hard to pull something out once it's taken root. And if you have a bitterness, a hatred against somebody, if it takes root inside of you, it can become poison and it can poison you for the rest of your life. And you could have a hatred for them and a grudge against them for the rest of your life and it, and it wrecks your life. They've gone on and they might not think about it um, you know another day in their of their life uh, about what hurt they caused you and so there needs to be a mechanism where you can give up that pain that's within you while not necessarily letting the other person off the hook and the word that is given to that is release you let go of the burden so that you can continue life release 
does not exonerate the offender. Nor does it require forbearance. It doesn't even demand that you continue the relationship. But it does ask that instead of continuing to define your life in terms of the hurt that was done, you release your bad feelings, your preoccupation with negative things that have happened to you. Release does something that is critically important. It allows you to let go of the burden, the silent tax that's weighing you down and eating away at your chance for happiness. If you don't release the pain and anger and move past dwelling on old hurts and betrayals, you'll be allowing the ones who hurt you to live rent-free in your mind, reliving forever the persecution that original incident started. So again, um, especially in areas of abuse or in areas of betrayal, um, the type of forgiveness is not exoneration where where you know you're totally you're totally forgiven and I restore you to the relationship that was there before sometimes um, release is the type of forgiveness that you can give and that just says I'm not going to dwell on it anymore uh, you know I set it aside the idea is that you know perhaps God will deal with that situation at some time in the future but I'm I, you know I'm setting it you know outside of me I'm not allowing that root of bitterness to take hold within me. So it'll be interesting uh, uh, if we can have a discussion again after this service to see if these three types of forgiveness cover uh, the aspect of forgiveness and uh, whether um, all three of these are scriptural. I, I think that uh, they certainly work from a, a point of view of psychology. A, psycho- a psychiatrist uses this, this uh, teaching but I think they also are very scriptural in, in the, their application as well. So we return to our seven points of, of uh, you know, being a king in God's kingdom. Point number five is being a loving king in your family kingdom. So this has to do with our family relationships. And point number one says make family study a habit. I remember... Um, you know, when my when my children were really young, uh, one of the things that that I as a parent really looked forward to was, um, you know, Bible lessons and and working with my kids to, uh, you know, memorize scriptures, and you know, at a point where it was before they could even you know read and write, um, you know, where I'd read the lesson to them and then to try to get them to memorize, I'd be drawing pictures of uh, of the different words so that it would help their memory as they were as they were learning things, and it was. Um, it's, it's fun and rewarding as a dad or a parent to be able to, uh, you know, work with uh, your young kids or, or with, uh, you know, young kids in the church that you might uh, be helping out, um, you know, to learn of God and his ways. So family study, make that a habit. Make family prayer a habit. Again, not everyone is necessarily in a situation where, where the others in their household are, are Christians and are, you know, eager to, um, you know, par- participate in you know family prayer together. But as much as these things can apply, um, you know, it, it, these are part of a checklist that you can look at and, and see if there are things that you can be doing better. Point three, make family work and chores a profitable habit. So again, working together uh, builds camaraderie in a family. Make family fellowship, point four, a habit. Fellowship together, you doing activities together is going to build a family. Point five, 
make family play and outings a habit. Um, um, the idea of, uh, you know, having, you know, fun times together, uh, even outings together. I remember uh, several years ago, I took my teenage kids to Ottawa. They had a uh, exhibit of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it was a very quiet, somber atmosphere that was in the room. And, and we saw, you know, a portion of the Isaiah scroll. And then there's a, another scroll that dealt with discipline. And my kids were, were leafing through some of these plaques they had that uh, had a translation of the scroll. And they ended up finding, finding this spot where, um, you know, if, if you're bending over and your genital, your genitals become visible, then it's 30 days of punishment for that. And so I, I, I thought that outing was a, a neat example of, of having the kids have a, uh, an opportunity to see the a quiet, somber atmosphere with the Dead Sea Scrolls, but also um, the humor of uh, when you're writing up laws for a community, <laughs> some of them can be funny laws and, and, uh, and uh, you count on teenage kids to be able to find uh, those kinds of uh, um, ironies. Point number uh, six is family training and discipline um, are indispensable. Again, um, when 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 children are very young, um, you know, it's, uh, you want to be very quick to to uh, you know correct anything that uh, is getting out of line. As they get older, you might remove uh, privileges and things like that to help focus them on on making right choices in their lives. And so training and discipline are, are important aspects of having a godly family, a Christian family. And point seven, build family loyalty and love. And again, um, having these relationships and camaraderie together helps um, the children become loyal to the family and, um, and to have and to share love among the family members. Point number six in building a godly relationship in this framework we're, we're building is how to build leadership. And again, leadership is a giant subject. There's uh, there's dozens and dozens of leadership books available um, to, to give you even more points. But here are the five points that are listed here. First point of leadership is the desire to serve comes first. Normally, when people think of leadership, they think of being the boss. This is my chance to be the boss. And again, Leadership doesn't um, doesn't only include the idea of uh, having authority over others. The desire to serve comes first. In Luke fourteen eleven, it reads, "For whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted." Second point of leadership: there must be vision, imagination, and a goal. Interestingly, vision, whether it's for a church or an organization, vision comes from the top. We draw our vision certainly from from uh, the direction that Christ gave to the church and to us as, as individual Christians. Seek first the kingdom of God. The idea of go ye therefore into the world and preach the gospel. Those are specific goals and visions that Christ uh, has given to us. Imagination is in how we're going to accomplish those things, but the idea is that there are goals that are there, and the leader sets those goals for um, for the people who will be inspired and follow that leadership. Point three, a leader must lead and decide, which means 
you can't be waffling and you can't be, you know, I need more information. I need more information. Sometimes you have to make a decision. And as leaders, that's something you can practice. Leading and making these decisions. Point four, comradeship and delegation. So again, camaraderie as you work together on things. And sometimes you're going to then empower someone else to show some leadership by empowering them to take control of uh, uh, an area of work, uh, maybe some other people, and accomplish that, um, um, you know, as, a, as your own team. And so one of the things leaders do is, is to delegate to provide opportunities for others to succeed and to lead as well. Point five, character and integrity is uh, key to leadership. If, uh, if the leadership is two-faced, uh, talks about you behind your back, has no integrity, then you don't want to follow that person as a leader. And so as a Christian, um, showing Christian leadership, character and integrity are important. And the last couple of points here, uh, we have covered fairly quickly. Point, point number seven talks about tapping the power of Almighty God. The first element of that is you need the proper fear of God. And we talked about Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Daniel 4, it says, uh, this is verses 35 to 37. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he, God, does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. So again, a proper fear and respect of God is something that Nebuchadnezzar initially didn't have. But, um, you know, when you're made into a, uh, an animal with, uh, you know, eating grass and living in the backyard, um, for a number of years, and then your mind comes back to you, you can appreciate that God can raise up who he wants and he can abase who he wants. And we need to have that proper fear and love for uh, the eternal God. Point two, you need to walk with God. Live by every word of God, as Luke 4, 4 says. And Luke six forty six, we have Jesus giving the example of the opposite of this to, to help it make sense to us, where he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Point two, you need to walk with God. And that means do the things that God asks of you, things that we can read in scripture that direct us in the way that we should be going. And in Genesis 6, verse 9, it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. So if we want an example of someone walking with God, point two here, uh, Noah fits that characteristic because Noah walked with God. In Genesis 17, it says, When Abram was 90 years old and nine the Eternal appeared to Abram and said, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me or walk with me and be thou perfect. So Abram is also an example of someone who walked with God. Something that 
we should be striving to do in our Christian lives as well. And the last point of the seven seven areas to develop, and and again, this one being area number seven, point number three says you need to exercise God's power. Notice Jesus' instructions just after his resurrection from the dead. And these signs shall follow them that believe me. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drank any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That's uh, Mark 16, verses 17 to 18. And in the book of Acts, we see you know, many of the apostles doing exactly what Jesus prophesied here, that his church will have um, powers to be able to um, you know, cast out demons, um, lay hands on the sick. And uh, you know, we look to that today um, in the you know, as people come to the ministry and ask for for uh, prayers for their and anointing for their healing, um, we look for you know Christ um, to allow us to exercise God's power to be able to accomplish those healings. So the overall the overall message today is that of overcoming, as in you need to change. You can't just stay the way you are. Overcoming means making changes in your life. And again, this is not necessarily a complete template of everything that a Christian needs, but it's a good start. And it's something that you can take um, as you do pray, as you do your own prayer and study. So keep growing in second Peter three eighteen, It says grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ to him be the glory both now and forever. In first Timothy four fifteen, it reads meditate on, and the uh, English Standard Version says, practice, practice these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. And again, our hope is that our progress is evident to God. But there are many things that we can work on in our lives to um, to be better Christians. And 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6 says, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But in verse 6 it says, But I trust that you will know that you're not disqualified. And as a final scripture, uh, we'll read from the prophets uh, Micah, verses 6 to 8. Today we've covered... You know, probably 30 or 40 different points or elements that we can be building on in our Christian walk. And those are good and those are things that we can focus on and work towards. But uh, in Micah 6 verses 6 to 8, uh, it simplifies it so that we don't necessarily need to focus on so many points by saying, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? And what does God require of me? Is it all these points that we've covered? Well, those are all good things to aspire to. Verse 7. Will the Lord be pre- pleased with thousands of rams? With 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my sin? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So does God require you know human sacrifice? Or does he require thousands of, of uh, you know burnt offerings and and uh, and 
10,000 rivers of oil. No man can afford all of that. Is that what God requires, though? And Micah, in verse 8, points out that it, it, God doesn't require those things. Micah says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Uh, thank you, Pastor Jim, for your message. And definitely, you gave us so many points here to just work on it. And we still have at least two weeks when it comes in this time of frame, counting up towards the Pentecost. And definitely very helpful sermon. And as always, you know, thank you for the prints out that you gave us. It's much easier, actually, with the prints out to just, you know, taking the, taking the, the sermon notes and everything with it. So, Hard work, thank you so much. So, brethren, at this time, we'll have a closing prayer by our brother Tom Malek. And right after the closing prayer, we'll go to the final closing hymn on page 106. We have a story to tell to the nation. So, we'll have a closing prayer and then, then hymns on page 106. Good afternoon, brother. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, gracious God, creator and sustainer of all things, we're so thankful and grateful that you brought us to another week and to another blessed Sabbath day. Father, we're thankful for this message now that was brought uh, to us from by your servant uh, Jim, Pastor Jim. And um, we're sort of truly thankful for what he presented to us. Uh, there, was, there was a lot in his sermon and um, we, we need to go over all those points that he presented to us and that we should uh, examine ourselves and see how we measure up to each one of those points for, for us to be uh, true followers of you father and to be future kings and priests in your kingdom we definitely have to have all these characteristics in our life father and I know I need to work on many of those and I'm sure all of us out there need to do this and uh, it's not a better time now than on this next two weeks, counting before uh, all the counting our way to Pentecost, Father, to do this. So we're so thankful and grateful for this message and this day, Father. Um, we ask your blessing, Father, now and all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.